chapter forty six of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter forty six miss amory's partners the noble henry foker of whom we have lost sight for a few pages has been in the meanwhile occupied as we might suppose a man of his constancy would be in the pursuit and indulgence of his all-absorbing passion of love i wish that a few of my youthful readers who are inclined to that amusement would take the trouble to calculate the time which is spent in the pursuit when they would find it to be one of the most costly occupations in which a man can possibly indulge what don't you sacrifice to it indeed young gentlemen and young ladies of ill-regulated minds many hours of your precious sleep in the first place in which you lie tossing and thinking about the adored object whence you come down late to breakfast when noon is advancing and all the family is long since away to its daily occupations then when you at length get to these occupations you pay no attention to them and engage in them with no ardour all your thoughts and powers of mind being fixed elsewhere and the day's work being slurred over you neglect your friends and relatives your natural companions and usual associates in life that you may go and have a glance at the dear personage or look up at her windows or a peep at her carriage in the park then at night the artless blandishments of home bore you mamma's conversation palls upon you the dishes which that good soul prepares for the dinner of her favourite are sent away untasted the whole meal of life indeed except one particular plate has no relish life business family ties home all things useful and dear once become intolerable and you are never easy except when you are in pursuit of your flame such i believe to be not unfrequently the state of mind amongst ill-regulated young gentlemen and such indeed was mr h foker's condition who having been bred up to indulge in every propensity towards which he was inclined abandoned himself to this one with his usual selfish enthusiasm nor because he had given his friend arthur pendennis a great deal of good advice on a former occasion need men of the world wonder that mr foker became passion's slave in his turn who among us has not given a plenty of the very best advice to his friends who has not preached and who has practised to be sure you madam are perhaps a perfect being and never had a wrong thought in the whole course of your frigid and irreproachable existence or sir you are a great deal too strong-minded to allow any foolish passion to interfere with your equanimity in chambers or your attendance on change you are so strong that you don't want any sympathy we don't give you any then we keep ours for the humble and weak that struggle and stumble and get up again and so march with the rest of mortals what need have you of a hand who never fall your serene virtue is never shaded by passion or ruffled by temptation or darkened by remorse compassion would be impertinence for such an angel but then with such a one companionship becomes intolerable you are from the elevation of your very virtue and high attributes of necessity lonely we can't reach up and talk familiarly 
with such potentates good-bye then our way lies with humble folks and not with serene highnesses like you and we give notice that there are no perfect characters in this history except perhaps one little one and that one is not perfect either for she never knows to this day that she is perfect and with a deplorable misapprehension and perverseness of humility believes herself to be as great a sinner as need be this young person does not happen to be in london at the present period of our story and it is by no means for the like of her that mr henry foker's mind is agitated but what matters a few failings need we be angels male or female in order to be worshipped as such let us admire the diversity of the tastes of mankind and the oldest the ugliest the stupidest and most pompous the silliest and most vapid the greatest criminal tyrant booby bluebeard catherine hayes george barnwell amongst us we need never despair i have read of the passion of a transported pickpocket for a female convict each of them advanced in age being repulsive in person ignorant quarrelsome and given to drink that was as magnificent as the loves of cleopatra and antony or lancelot and guenever the passion which count borolowski the polish dwarf inspired in the bosom of the most beautiful baroness at the court of dresden is a matter with which we are all of us acquainted the flame which burned in the heart of young cornet tozer but the other day and caused him to run off and espouse mrs battersby who was old enough to be his mamma all these instances are told in the page of history or the newspaper column are we to be ashamed or pleased to think that our hearts are formed so that the biggest and highest placed ajax amongst us may some day find himself prostrate before the patens of his kitchen-maid as that there is no poverty or shame or crime which will not be supported hugged even with delight and cherished more closely than virtue would be by the perverse fidelity and admirable constant folly of a woman so then henry foker esq longed after his love and cursed the fate which separated him from her when lord gravesend's family retired to the country his lordship leaving his proxy with the venerable lord bagwig harry still remained lingering on in london certainly not much to the sorrow of lady anne to whom he was affianced and who did not in the least miss him wherever miss clavering went this infatuated young fellow continued to follow her and being aware that his engagement to his cousin was known in the world he was forced to make a mystery of his passion and confine it to his own breast so that it was so pent in there and pressed down that it is a wonder he did not explode some day with the stormy secret and perish collapsed after the outburst there had been a grand entertainment at gaunt house on one beautiful evening in june and the next day's journals contain almost two columns of the names of the most closely printed nobility and gentry who had been honoured with invitations to the ball among the guests were sir francis and lady clavering and miss amory for whom the indefatigable major pendennis had procured an invitation and our two young friends arthur and harry each exerted himself and danced a great deal with miss blanche as for the worthy major he assumed the charge of lady clavering and took care to introduce her to that department of the mansion where her ladyship specially distinguished herself namely the refreshment-room where amongst pictures of titian and giorgione and regal portraits of van dyck and reynolds and enormous salvers of gold and silver and pyramids of large flowers and constellations of wax candles in a manner perfectly regardless of expense in a word a supper was going on all night 
of how many creams jellies salads peaches white soups grapes pates galantines cups of tea champagne and so forth lady clavering partook it does not become us to say how much the major suffered as he followed the honest woman about calling to the solemn male attendants and lovely servant-maids and administering to lady clavering's various wants with admirable patience nobody knows he never confessed he never allowed his agony to appear on his countenance in the least but with a constant kindness brought plate after plate to the begum mr wagg counted up all the dishes of which lady clavering partook as long as he could count but as he partook very freely himself of champagne during the evening his powers of calculation were not to be trusted at the close of the entertainment and he recommended mr honeyman lady steyne's medical man to look carefully after the begum and to call and get news of her ladyship the next day sir francis clavering made his appearance and skulked for a while about the magnificent rooms but the company and the splendour which he met there were not to the baronet's taste and after tossing off a tumbler of wine or two at the buffet he quitted gaunt house for the neighbourhood of jermyn street where his friends loder punter little moss abrams and captain skewball were assembled at the familiar green table in the rattle of the box and of their agreeable conversation sir francis's spirits rose to their accustomed point of feeble hilarity mr pincent who had asked miss amory to dance came up on one occasion to claim her hand but scowls of recognition having already passed between him and mr arthur pendennis in the dancing-room arthur suddenly rose up and claimed miss amory as his partner for the present dance on which mr pincent biting his lips and scowling yet more savagely withdrew with a profound bow saying that he gave up his claim there are some men who are always falling in one's way in life pincent and pen had this view of each other and each regarded other accordingly what a confounded conceited provincial fool that is thought the one because he has written a twopenny novel his absurd head is turned and a kicking would take his conceit out of him what an impertinent idiot that man is remarked the other to his partner his soul is in downing street his neckcloth is fool's cap his hair is sand his legs are rulers his vitals are tape and sealing-wax he was a prig in his cradle and never laughed since he was born except three times at the same joke of his chief i have the same liking for that man miss amory i have for that cold boiled veal upon which blanche of course remarked that mr pendennis was wicked machin perfectly abominable and wondered what he would say when her back was turned say say that you have the most beautiful figure and the slimmest waist in the world blanche miss amory i mean i beg your pardon another turn this music would make an alderman dance and you have left off tumbling when you waltz now blanche asked archly looking up at her partner's face one falls and one gets up again in life blanche you know i used to call you so in old times and it is the prettiest name in the world besides i have practised since then and with a great number of partners i am afraid blanche said with a little sham sigh and a shrug of the shoulders and so in truth mr pen had practised a good deal in this life and had undoubtedly arrived at being able to dance better if pendennis was impertinent in his talk folker on the other hand so bland and communicative on most occasions was entirely mum and melancholy when he danced with miss amory to clasp her slender waist was a rapture to whirl round the room with her was a delirium but to speak to her what could he say that was worthy of her what pearl of conversation could he bring that was fit for the acceptance of such a queen of love and wit as blanche it was she who made the talk when she was in the company of this love-stricken partner it was she who asked him how that dear little pony was and looked at him and thanked him with such a tender kindness and regret and refused the dear little pony with such a delicate sigh 
when he offered it i have nobody to ride with in london she said mamma is timid and her figure is not pretty on horseback sir francis never goes out with me he loves me like like a stepdaughter oh how delightful it must be to have a father a father mr foker oh uncommon said mr harry who enjoyed that blessing very calmly upon which and forgetting the sentimental air which she had just before assumed blanche's grey eyes gazed at foker with such an arch twinkle that both of them burst out laughing and harry enraptured and at his ease began to entertain her with a variety of innocent prattle good kind simple foker talk flavoured with many expressions by no means to be discovered in dictionaries and relating to the personal history of himself or horses or other things dear and important to him or to persons in the ballroom then passing before them and about whose appearance or character mr harry spoke with artless freedom and a considerable dash of humour and it was blanche who when the conversation flagged and the youth's modesty came rushing back and overpowering him knew how to reanimate her companion asked him questions about logwood and whether it was a pretty place whether he was a hunting man and whether he liked women to hunt in which case she was prepared to say that she adored hunting but mr foker expressing his opinion against sporting females and pointing out lady bullfinch who happened to pass by as a horse godmother whom he had seen at cover with a cigar in her face blanche too expressed her detestation of the sports of the field and said it would make her shudder to think of a dear sweet little fox being killed on which foker laughed and waltzed with renewed vigour and grace and at the end of the waltz the last waltz they had on that night blanche asked him about drummington and whether it was a fine house his cousins she had heard were very accomplished lord Aerith she had met and which of his cousins was his favourite was it not lady anne yes she was sure it was she sure by his looks and his blushes she was tired of dancing it was getting very late she must go to mamma and without another word she sprang away from harry foker's arm and seized upon pens who was swaggering about the dancing-room and again said mamma mamma take me to mamma dear mr pendennis transfixing harry with a parthian shot as she fled from him my lord stained with garter and ribbon with a bald head and shining eyes and a collar of red whiskers round his face always looked grand upon an occasion of state and made a great effect upon lady clavering when he introduced himself to her at the request of the obsequious major pendennis with his own white and royal hand he handed to her ladyship a glass of wine said he had heard of her charming daughter and begged to be presented to her and at this very juncture mr arthur pendennis came up with the young lady on his arm the peer made a profound bow and blanched the deepest curtsey that ever was seen his lordship gave mr arthur pendennis his hand to shake said he had read his book which was very wicked and clever asked miss blanche if she had read it at which ben blushed and winced why blanche was one of the heroines of the novel blanche in black ringlets and a little altered was the niera of walter lorraine blanche had read it the language of the eyes expressed her admiration and rapture at the performance this little play being achieved the marquis of steyne made other two profound bows to lady clavering and her daughter and passed on to some other of his guests at the splendid entertainment mamma and daughter were loud in their expressions of admiration of the noble marquis so soon as his broad back was turned upon them he said they make a very nice couple whispered major pendennis to lady clavering did he now really mamma thought they would mamma was so flustered with the honour which had just been shown to her and with other intoxicating events of the evening that her good humour knew no bounds she laughed she winked and nodded knowingly at pen she tapped him on the arm with her fan she tapped blanche she tapped the major her contentment was boundless and her method of showing her joy equally expansive 
as the party went down the great staircase of gaunt house the morning had risen dark and clear over the black trees of the square the skies were tinged with pink and the cheeks of some of the people at the ball ah how ghastly they looked that admirable and devoted major above all who had been for hours by lady clavering's side ministering to her and feeding her body with everything that was nice and her ear with everything that was sweet and flattering oh what an object he was the rings round his eyes were of the colour of bistre those orbs themselves were like the plover's eggs whereof lady clavering and blanche had each tasted the wrinkles in his old face were furrowed in deep gashes and a silver stubble like an elderly morning dew was glittering on his chin and alongside the dyed whiskers now limp and out of curl there he stood with admirable patience enduring uncomplainingly a silent agony knowing that people could see the state of his face for could he not himself perceive the condition of others males and females of his own age longing to go to rest for hours past aware that suppers disagreed with him and yet having eaten a little so as to keep his friend lady clavering in good humour with twinges of rheumatism in the back and knees with weary feet burning in his varnished boots so tired oh so tired and longing for bed if a man struggling with hardship and bravely overcoming it is an object of admiration for the gods that power in whose chapels the old major was a faithful worshipper must have looked upwards approvingly upon the constancy of pendennis's martyrdom there are sufferers in that cause as in the other the negroes in the service of mumbo-jumbo tattoo and drill themselves with burning skewers with great fortitude and we read that the priests in the service of baal gashed themselves and bled freely you who can smash the idols do so with a good courage but do not be too fierce with the idolaters they worship the best thing they know the pendennises the elder and the younger waited with lady clavering and her daughter until her ladyship's carriage was announced when the elders martyrdom may be said to have come to an end for the good-natured begum insisted upon leaving him at his door in berry street so he took the back seat of the carriage after a feeble bow or two and speech of thanks polite to the last and resolute in doing his duty the begum waved her dumpy little hand by way of farewell to arthur and foker and blanche smiled languidly out upon the young men thinking whether she looked very wan and green under a rose-coloured hood and whether it was the mirrors at gaunt house or the fatigue and fever of her own eyes which made her fancy herself so pale arthur perhaps saw quite well how yellow blanche looked but did not attribute that peculiarity of her complexion to the effect of the looking-glasses or to any error in his sight or her own our young man of the world could use his eyes very keenly and could see blanche's face pretty much as nature had made it but for poor foker it had a radiance which dazzled and blinded him he could see no more faults in it than in the sun which was now flaring over the housetops amongst other wicked london habits which pen had acquired the moralist will remark that he had got to keep very bad hours and often was going to bed at the time when sober country people were thinking of leaving it men get used to one hour as to another editors of newspapers covent garden market people night cabmen and coffee sellers chimney sweeps and gentlemen and ladies of fashion who frequent balls are often quite lively at three or four o'clock of a morning when ordinary mortals are snoring we have shown in the last chapter how pen was in a brisk condition of mind at this period inclined to smoke his cigar at ease and to speak freely foker and pen walked away from gaunt house then indulging in both the above amusements or rather pen talked and foker looked as if he wanted to say something pen was sarcastic and dandified when he had been in the company of great folks he could not help imitating some of their airs and tones and having a most lively imagination mistook himself for a person of importance very easily he rattled away 
and attacked this person and that sneered at lady john trumbull's bad french which her ladyship will introduce into all conversations in spite of the sneers of everybody at mrs slackroper's extraordinary costume and sham jewels at the old dandies and the young ones at whom didn't he sneer and laugh you fired everybody pen you're grown awful that you are Boker said now you've pulled about blondel's yellow wig and colchicum's black one why don't you have a shy at a brown one eh you know whose i mean it got into lady clavering's carriage under my uncle's hat my uncle is a martyr Foker, my boy my uncle has been doing excruciating duties all night he likes to go to bed rather early he has a dreadful headache if he sits up and touches supper he always has the gout if he walks or stands much at a ball he has been sitting up and standing up and supping he has gone home to the gout and the headache and for my sake shall i make fun of the old boy no not for venice how do you mean that he has been doing it for your sake foker asked looking rather alarmed boy canst thou keep a secret if i impart it to thee pen cried out in high spirits art thou of good counsel wilt thou swear wilt thou be mum or wilt thou preach wilt thou be silent and hear or wilt thou speak and die and as he spoke flinging himself into an absurd theatrical attitude the men in the cab-stand in piccadilly wondered and grinned at the antics of the two young swells what the deuce are you driving at foker asked looking very much agitated pen however did not remark this agitation much but continued in the same bantering and excited vein henry friend of my youth he said and witness of my early follies though dull at thy books yet thou art not altogether deprived of sense nay blush not henrico thou hast a good portion of that and of courage and kindness too at the service of thy friends were i in a strait of poverty i would come to my focus purse were i in grief i would discharge my grief upon his sympathizing bosom gammon pen go on focus said i would henrico upon thy studs and upon thy cambric worked by the hands of beauty to adorn the breast of valour know then friend of my boyhood's days that arthur pendennis of the upper temple student at law feels that he is growing lonely and old care is furrowing his temples and baldness is busy with his crown shall we stop and have a drop of coffee at this stall it looks very hot and nice look how that cabman is blowing at his saucer no you won't aristocrat i resume my tale i am getting on in life i have got devilish little money i want some i am thinking of getting some and settling in life i am thinking of settling i am thinking of marrying oh boy i am thinking of becoming a moral man a steady port and sherry character with a good reputation in my quartier and a moderate establishment of two maids and a man with an occasional broom to drive out mrs pendennis and a house near the parks for the accommodation of the children ha what sayest thou answer thy friend thou worthy child of beer speak i adjure thee by all thy vats but you ain't got any money pen said the other still looking alarmed i ain't no but she ave i tell thee there is gold in store for me not what you call money nursed in the lap of luxury and cradled on grains and drinking in wealth from a thousand mash-tubs what do you know about money what is poverty to you is splendid to the hardy son of the humble apothecary you can't live without an establishment and your houses in town and country a snug little house somewhere off belgravia a broom for my wife a decent cook and a fair bottle of wine for my friends at home sometimes these simple necessaries suffice for me my foker and here pendennis began to look more serious without bantering further pen continued i've rather serious thoughts of settling and marrying no man can get on in the world without some money at his back you must have a certain stake to begin with before you can go in and play the great game who knows that i'm not going to try old fellow worse men than i have won at it and as i have not got enough capital from my father's i must get some by my wife that's all they were walking down grosvenor street as they talked 
or rather as pen talked in the selfish fullness of his heart and mr pen must have been too much occupied with his own affairs to remark the concern and agitation of his neighbour for he continued we are no longer children you know you and i harry bob the time of our romance has passed away we don't marry for passion but for prudence and for establishment what do you take your cousin for because she is a nice girl and an earl's daughter and the old folks wish it and that sort of thing and you pendennis asked folker you ain't very fond of the girl you're going to marry pen shrugged his shoulders come sa said he i like her well enough she's pretty enough she's clever enough i think she'll do very well and she has got money enough that's the great point pshaw you know who she is don't you i thought you were sweet on her yourself one night when we dined with her mamma it's little amory i i thought so folker said and has she accepted you not quite arthur replied with a confident smile which seemed to say i have but to ask and she comes to me that instant oh not quite said folker and he broke out with such a dreadful laugh that pen for the first time turned his thoughts from himself towards his companion and was struck by the other's ghastly pale face my dear fellow foe what's the matter you're ill pen said in a tone of real concern you think it was the champagne at gaunt house don't you it ain't that come in let me talk to you for a minute i'll tell you what it is durned it let me tell somebody folker said they were at mr folker's door by this time and opening it harry walked with his friend into his apartments which were situated in the back part of the house and behind the family dining-room where the elder folker received his guests surrounded by pictures of himself his wife his infant son on a donkey and the late earl of gravesend in his robes as a peer folker and pen passed by this chamber now closed with death-like shutters and entered into the young man's own quarters dusky streams of sunbeams were playing into that room and lighting up poor harry's gallery of dancing girls and opera nymphs with flickering illuminations look here i can't help telling you pen he said ever since the night we dined there i'm so fond of that girl that i think i shall die if i don't get her i feel as if i should go mad sometimes i can't stand it pen i couldn't bear to hear you talking about her just now about marrying her only because she's money ah pen that ain't the question in marrying i'd bet anything it ain't talking about money and such a girl as that it's it's what do you call em you know what i mean i ain't good at talking sacrilege then if she'd have me i'd take and sweep a crossing that i would poor foe i don't think that would tempt her pen said eyeing his friend with a great deal of real good nature and pity she is not a girl for love in a cottage she ought to be a duchess i know that very well and i know she wouldn't take me unless i could make her a great place in the world for i ain't good for anything myself much i ain't clever and that sort of thing folker said sadly if i had all the diamonds that all the duchesses and marchionesses had on to-night wouldn't i put em in her lap but what's the use of talking i'm booked for another race it's that kills me pen i can't get out of it though i die i can't get out of it and though my cousin's a nice girl and i like her very well and that yet i hadn't seen this one when our governors settled that matter between us and when you talked just now about her doing very well and about her having money enough for both of you i thought to myself it isn't money or mere liking a girl that ought to be enough to make a fellow marry he may marry and find he likes somebody else better all the money in the world won't make you happy then look at me i've plenty of money or shall have out of the mash-tubs as you call em my governor thought he'd made it all right for me in settling my marriage with my cousin i tell you it won't do and when lady anne has got her husband it won't be happy for either of us and she'll have the most miserable beggar in town poor old fellow pen said with rather a cheap magnanimity i wish i could help you i had no idea of this and that you were so wild about the girl do you think she would have you without your money no do you think your father would agree to break off your engagement with your cousin 
you know him very well and that he would cast you off rather than do so the unhappy foker only groaned a reply flinging himself prostrate on a sofa face forwards his head in his hands as for my affair pen went on my dear fellow if i had thought matters were so critical with you at least i would not have pained you by choosing you as my confidant and my business is not serious at least not as yet i have not spoken a word about it to miss amory very likely she would not have me if i asked her only i have had a great deal of talk about it with my uncle who says that the match might be an eligible one for me i am ambitious and i am poor and it appears lady clavering will give her a good deal of money and sir francis might be got to never mind the rest nothing is settled harry they are going out of town directly i promise you i won't ask her before she goes there's no hurry there's time for everybody but suppose you got her foker remember what you said about marriages just now and the misery of a man who doesn't care for his wife and what sort of a wife would you have who didn't care for her husband but she would care for me said foker from his sofa that is i think she would last night only as we were dancing she said what did she say pen cried starting up in great wrath but he saw his own meaning more clearly than foker and broke off with a laugh well never mind what she said harry miss amory is a clever girl and says numbers of civil things to you to me perhaps and who the deuce knows to whom besides nothing settled old boy at least my heart won't break if i don't get her win her if you can and i wish you joy of her good-bye don't think about what i said to you i was excited and confoundedly thirsty in those hot rooms and didn't i suppose put enough seltzer water into the champagne good-night i'll keep your counsel too mum is the word between us and let there be a fair fight and let the best man win as peter crawley says so saying mr arthur pendennis giving a very queer and rather dangerous look at his companion shook him by the hand with something of that sort of cordiality which befitted his just repeated simile of the boxing-match and which mr bendigo displays when he shakes hands with mr gaunt before they fight each other for the champion's belt and two hundred pounds aside Boca returned his friend's salute with an imploring look and a piteous squeeze of the hand sank back on his cushions again and pen putting on his hat strode forth into the air and almost over the body of the matutinal housemaid who was rubbing the steps at the door and so he wants her too does he thought pen as he marched along and noted within himself with a fatal keenness of perception and almost an infernal mischief that the very pains and tortures which that honest heart of foker's was suffering gave a zest and an impetus to his own pursuit of blanche if pursuit might be called which had been no pursuit as yet but mere sport and idle dallying she said something to him did she perhaps she gave him the fellow flower to this and he took out of his coat and twiddled in his thumb and finger a poor little shrivelled crumpled bud that had faded and blackened with the heat and flare of the night i wonder to how many more she has given her artless tokens of affection the little flirt and he flung his into the gutter where the water may have refreshed it and where any amateur of rosebuds may have picked it up and then bethinking him that the day was quite bright and that the passers-by might be staring at his beard and white neckcloth our modest young gentleman took a cab and drove to the temple ah is this the boy that prayed at his mother's knee but a few years since and for whom very likely at this hour of morning she is praying is this jaded and selfish worldling the lad who a short while back was ready to fling away his worldly all his hope his ambition his chance of life for his love this is the man you are proud of old pendennis you boast of having formed him and of having reasoned him out of his absurd romance and folly and groaning in your bed over your pains and rheumatisms satisfy yourself still by thinking that at last that lad will do something to better himself in life and that the pendennises will take a good place in the world and is he the only one who in his progress through this dark life goes wilfully 
or fatally astray whilst the natural truth and love which should illumine him grow dim in the poisoned air and suffice to light him no more when pen was gone away poor harry foker got up from the sofa and taking out from his waistcoat the splendidly buttoned but the gorgeously embroidered the work of his mamma a little white rosebud he drew from his dressing-case also the maternal present a pair of scissors with which he nipped carefully the stalk of the flower and placing it in a glass of water opposite his bed he sought refuge there from care and bitter remembrances it is to be presumed that miss blanche amory had more than one rose in her bouquet and why should not the kind young creature give out of her superfluity and make as many partners as possible happy End of chapter forty six